I'm excited to be back, and uh, the good news is that I get to do four messages. This is the first of four messages I'm going to be doing this summer, so I hope that's good news for you guys, too. Um, for those of you who were here the last time I spoke, I spoke on fasting, because we were just finishing up our 40 days of fasting. And I talked about how the importance of fasting and what the Bible had to say about fasting. And if you remember, you don't have to have been there to hear my message, because I'm not going to repeat it. But one of the biggest things I talked about was that in the Bible, when we see fasting, it goes along with praying. So I figured I would do a sermon about praying and the importance of prayer. Uh, in Matthew 6, 5, I went over about how the Bible told us that fasting is expected of us. Uh, it all, it, the Bible says, and when you fast and when you pray. And we also see that in several verses of Scripture. In Matthew 6, 5, says, and when you pray. Matthew 6, 6 says, but when you pray. Matthew 6, 7 again says, and when you pray. So the Bible is telling us, and Jesus is telling us, that we're expected to pray. Luke eleven nine 9 also says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. So we can see that not only was fasting expected in the Bible, but praying and having a good prayer life was also. Before we get to the main point of Scripture here, I want to ask a couple questions. I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. And this is not to bring any type of guilt on you because when you do something about prayer, sometimes people might think, well, you know, hey, am I, is he talking to me? Or are they talking about me? But how is your prayer life? Just ask yourself that. How is your prayer life? Do you think it's stale or do you think it's thriving? Do you sometimes think, am I not talking to God as much as I used to or as much as I want to? I'm asking these questions because, like me, we get busy in life. And I think it's good to sit down every so often and ask these questions of ourselves. So if everybody could just stand for the Word of God, please. And we're going to go through Acts 12, 1 through 10. At that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads and four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel told him, Get dressed, put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. 
They passed the first and second guard. Posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And this opened for them all by himself, all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street. And then the angel suddenly left him. Lord God, I thank you for this time that we have together to study your word and to gather with each other and pray. And Lord, I pray that we will worship you with an undistracted heart tonight and that you will reveal all the wonders of your word. I also pray for all those that are in need of prayer, all the individual members of this church and anybody in the community and all of our families and our friends, and especially all those who are here tonight. If they have any prayer requests, I just pray for them, Lord. And I pray that we will all just continually pray steadfastly and make it an ongoing priority in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So this evening, I'm going to focus on the power of a praying church. A praying church is a powerful church. And this evening, I'm going to go through Acts 12, 1 through 10, but I want to specifically look at Acts 12, 5. When I was in school for Bible uh, theology and Bible study, we studied the book of Acts verse by verse, and I enjoyed it. And one thing that I noticed in the book of Acts is that in the book of Acts, we see all throughout that the power of the early church happened in a prayer environment. To give a quick outline of Acts 12, we see that the early church is in trouble. The trouble they were facing was not internally, but it was coming from outside the church. The trouble was that Herod Agrippa, who was the king, and he was also the fifth in the line of Herods, was a horrible and phony man. He was a Jew by birth, a pagan by practice, and he was overbearing, he was dogmatic, and he pretended to be sincere to the Jews. He was also a monster by character. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, who we all remember was the one who tried to kill Jesus by killing all the infant boys. And Herod was only concerned about himself and what he could get and what he was doing. And because the church, the early church, was growing so quickly and there were a large amount of people coming to know Christ and being saved, there was a lot of animosity within the Jews. If the Holy Spirit is working in your life, there will be opposition. And it will be coming against that work in your life. How many people know that here? When you're doing something for the Lord and you're being called to do something from the Lord, it feels like everything is coming against you. How many instances when God is working your life and that's when you find that you face the most of your problems? I know when I back, went back and got my degree, my theology degree, it seemed like everything was trying to come against us. And it wasn't coming inwardly, it was coming outwardly. 
Herod Agrippa knew at this time that there was tension. And so he began persecuting the Christians. First, we see in Acts 12.2 that he had James killed. James was the brother of John, and we also know them as the sons of thunder. And because he thought it would be good for him politically, he had Peter arrested and had plans to kill him as well. Luckily for Peter at that time, they were celebrating Passover, and so he wasn't killed immediately. But this church at this time was in a desperate time. It seems like now we are in a desperate time. It seemed like there was no hope. James was killed. Peter was in prison. His thought, Herod's thought, was that he would have a better chance of splitting this growing church by arresting Peter. Because some of them were quarreling with Peter and they had some division amongst them which were minor. But he thought that it would be good for him politically and raise his self-esteem to do this and that he could infiltrate the church. The outside influence was trying to invade the church. We see this all the time now in churches, unfortunately. People trying to take advantage of each other. People gossiping about each other. People quarreling with each other about minor things. People trying to bring in other non-biblical doctrines. But there was a source of strength in the church that Herod was not aware of. And that was prayer. Prayer is the best thing a church can do for its members. And prayer is the most significant contribution the church can do for their community around them. My friends, we've got to be a praying church. And we've got to seek the face of God in all matters. We see in Acts that the church did many things that helped them grow. But one thing that we saw for sure was that the early church prayed all the time. If we look at Acts 12.5, we see that the church prayed earnestly for Peter while he was in prison. This doesn't mean that they just gave him a passing prayer. Like, hey, I'll pray for you. My thoughts are with you. They didn't say that. They prayed earnestly for Peter. This means they did it seriously and with sincere conviction. Unfortunately, my little Elena always gets thrown into a sermon because my other kids are a little bit bigger and they don't do cute things anymore that much. But Elena, if you ask her to pray for you, she will pray for you immediately. If I have a bad back, it's cute. She'll come up and she'll close her eyes and she'll pray for me. If Christy has a headache, she'll pray for her. That's a sincere prayer. The book of Acts is filled with instances of them praying. They prayed in the upper room after Jesus ascended into heaven. They prayed when they were selecting a successor of Judas. They prayed following the baptism of 3,000. They prayed when Peter and John were released from prison. 
They prayed when they had to make major decisions within the church. I think you're getting my point. My point is that they prayed. Because passionate prayer breaks chains and it removes bondages. Now, I'm not suggesting that all the church prayed all the time and that they exactly knew what they were doing when they were praying or they completely understood what they were doing. Because if you look down, which is not in our text, but in Acts 12, 16, many were amazed when they saw Peter and realized that their prayers were answered. So enough of them were praying and understanding their prayers and it changed their church and it changed the world. It seems like they had no hope. It looked like it was the end for Peter and the others might have been thinking, what are we going to do? What don't they do? They don't sign a petition for Peter's release. They don't organize a protest and go in front and hold up signs saying, free Peter. They don't go to Herod and try and bribe him, which Herod probably would take the money and be bribed because that's the type of person he did. No, the early church prayed earnestly. Earnest prayer to God is a mountain-moving kind of prayer. This is why I'm focusing on how the others prayed as Peter was in prison. Acts 12.5 says that they prayed earnestly. When I was looking this up, the root word translated here is also found in Luke 22.44 when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating like blood when he was praying. We also see this in Romans 15.30 when Paul wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. He was asking them to pray earnestly with him and for him. So why is it important that we have a praying church? Why is it important that you and I pray and have a good prayer life? It's because when we pray, we call on the resources of God, which are inexhaustible. When we pray, we step out of the flesh of what man can do and into the supernatural of what God can do. God wants us to trust him. And he wants to work in and through our lives. The church held a prayer meeting. And this is the key to where our churches need to be and where we as passionate followers of Christ need to be if we're going to advance the cause of Christ. In 1 Peter 3.12, we see a kind of commentary to this Acts 12. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. Peter may have been writing about all these experiences, experiences knowing what was happening during those times. 
In Acts 12, you see that James was the first apostle to be martyred. There was a feast going on, and then they had prayer for, for Peter. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. This means that our trials are seen by God. God knows what we're going through. Even the difficulties and the trials that no one else sees. God sees and knows what you and I are going through. Not only does he see what we're going through, but he cares about what we're going through. He cares about us. He loves us. How can we know that God cares about me and what I'm going through? It's because of the cross. Because of what Jesus did for you and I on the cross by dying for our sins. 1 Peter 3.12 also says, his ears are open to their prayers. Our prayers are heard and answered by God. I try to let my children know that we should not only pray when we run into a problem or when we feel we need something, but we should also pray to thank God for all he's given to us. Thankfully, our children don't have to worry about food or clothing or a place to sleep because we as parents provide for them, just like God provides for us. But doesn't it sometimes bless you and make you happy when you give one of your children something unexpectedly maybe or something that you knew that they really wanted and they just come up to you and they say, hey, thank you. Doesn't that make you feel good? I know it makes me feel good. We should thank God for everything he's given to us. Because God wants to hear from us. Not only when we need something, he wants us to talk to him. The early church also prayed specifically. In Acts 12.5, it says that they prayed to God for him, Peter. The church was in a crisis. Peter, who was one of their leaders, was now in prison and facing death. The only way out of this was if God intervened. And they knew this. And that's why they prayed earnestly and specifically for him. We see in Acts that meetings of prayer had become a standing institution in the church. And it was very important to them. But we also see that the believers would have been praying anyways, even if Peter wasn't in prison. But now that Peter was in prison and facing death, they knew that they needed to pray specifically for Peter. Have you ever had a specific prayer personally for yourself or with the church? Do you ever write down who or what you're praying for and earnestly seek God when you pray? Do you sometimes maybe sit down and call out the names of those that you're specifically praying for? These are some types of prayers that we can do. One of the most important things we can do 
is to be able to intercede and pray for someone. Prayer is having an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we all know the Lord because someone in our life was praying for us. And this is exactly what we should be praying about. We should be praying for our unsaved family members, our unsaved friends, the neighbors we may not like, the neighbors we may like, the church members that we're friends with, and the church members that we may be, eh, we should be praying for them, all of them. We should be praying and seeking the face of God. But the world makes light of all that. Because prayer changes things. So we need to pray often, and we need to pray with confidence. Because remember, we have access to God by the Son and through His Spirit. Prayer also changes people. We read it all over the Bible. Prayer made a shy Moses into a great leader. It kept a discouraged Elijah from quitting. It turned a fanatical persecutor into a passionate follower of Christ. And it changed Peter, who's now in prison, who had so much faith in Acts 12.6 that it says he was sleeping. On the night he knew he was going to be killed, the next day, he was sleeping. If you look at him now, compared to 10, 15 years ago, now he was boldly preaching the gospel to everyone. So what I'm saying is don't give up on praying specifically for that friend or family member who everyone says is lost. Because we all were lost. We all needed a way out. And we all had somebody praying for us. If you want to see lives changed and souls saved, we must become a praying church. If we want to have an impact on this world, we must become a praying church. If we want to see the church become what God designed it to be, we must become a praying church. If we want to become the Holy Spirit headquarters, we must become a praying church. If we want to see continued growth, we must become a praying church. We can also see that the early church prayed in one accord. They prayed together. They gathered together and they prayed. One of the things I'm very glad about about Woodland, and I hope you are too, is that our church focuses on prayer. Our church loves to pray. And every Saturday, you can come here and pray. You can pray for yourself. You can pray for your families. You can pray with others. You can pray for those that you know that you think wouldn't come in this door. A lot of churches in our community don't have that. But do people outside the walls of Woodland know that we have a prayer meeting every Saturday? 
And if they came and they needed prayer, that they would get prayer? Well, they won't unless we tell them. Tell your friends and family members, hey, we pray on Saturday night. Can you come and we'll pray? Tell your coworkers, hey, if you need prayer, come with me on Saturday night and we'll pray. It doesn't even have to be Saturday night. It could be Sunday morning. It could be Wednesday night. What they won't get is someone telling them, well, before we pray for you, you got to do certain things. You got to sign here. And of course, you got to give a little bit of money. No, because we're a praying church. And we want to pray with them and we want to pray for them. But it's up to us to tell them and it's up to us to invite people. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the world thinks prayer is ridiculous. People make fun of that phrase, I'm praying for you. You see it all the time online. Somebody needs prayer. Somebody found something out. We say, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. And people mock that. But the true fact is, besides telling people about Jesus, prayer is probably one of the greatest things you can do for someone. We see this all the time in the news. There's a shooting at a school or a public place. Christians pray and the world mocks us. Someone finds out that they have cancer or some type of disease. Christians pray and the world mocks us. Someone loses a child in a tragedy. Christians pray and the world mocks us. I was reading in the Daily News um, in 2015, there was a headline that said, God isn't fixing this. And this was re in response to the mass shooting in the San Bernardino uh, terrorist attack. It's because the world thinks that prayer is, is just meaningless gratitude. But that's not what prayer is all about. Prayer is communicating with God. And getting to the point where you realize that you can't, but he can. Prayer is when we lay everything down at the feet of Jesus. When you realize that you're not able to, but he is able to. And that's nothing new, the world mocking. Because when we read in the Bible, we see believers being mocked and ridiculed all the time. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Focus on that word will. It doesn't say you may or may not. It says you will. Expect it. But pray. Jesus said in John 15, 20, Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they will persecute you. Jesus made it perfectly clear that the world will hate Christians because the world hates Christ. But we, as passionate followers of Christ, should learn to recognize the value of persecution and even rejoice in it. But mostly, we should pray through it. Going back to Acts 12, 
There were trials in the church. There was persecution in the church. Herod attacked the church. He was trying to destroy the church. He saw that it was good for him politically. And when he had James martyred, Herod attacked the church. And what did the church do? They prayed. In Acts 12.4, Peter's in prison. And we see that he's surrounded by soldiers. There was a total of 16 soldiers, four squads of four who would trade off watching him all day and all night. Two of the soldiers were chained to him, and the other two would watch the gate. This sounds like an impossible situation, doesn't it? But if you think about it, sometimes our trials and our problems seem like we're chained to it. Or that we're surrounded by it all day and all night. But this situation was not impossible for God. They began to pray and they were praying intentionally. They also prayed persistently. They prayed persistently. They prayed so persistently that later in the chapter, when Peter came to the door and Rhoda told the others he was there, they said he, they, that she was crazy. That's always one of my favorite stories. and Every time I read that, I laugh. I think I was telling pastor about that. I, can you picture it? I mean, here's Peter chained, and now he's free, so he knows that the church is meeting, he knows where they are, so he runs to them, he knocks on the door, and Rhoda, who is it? It's Peter. What does she do? Does she open the door and say, come on in, Peter, we're having a prayer meeting for you? No. She leaves him sitting there at the door, doesn't open the door for him, and then runs in and tells the other disciples, hey, Peter's there at the door. He said, you're crazy. He's not there. What were they praying for? <laughs> but it's, that's how we are sometimes, right? We pray for something. And maybe sometimes we'll think, well, it's just too much. I don't think God will answer that prayer, but I'll pray anyways. And then we're surprised when our prayer comes true, when God gives us our prayer, and when it's answered. But they kept praying. And why did they keep praying? Because they knew that God answers prayers. While I was reading stuff and looking online at stuff for this sermon, I read a story about a wife who was praying for her husband for 55 years. She prayed for 55 years consistently for his salvation. He didn't know that. And one time he had to go on a business trip and he went to Florida. And unfortunately, while he was in Florida, he got into a bad car accident and he ended up dying. A few weeks after the funeral, this woman gets a phone call 
asking for her husband. And she's kind of fighting back tears, and she said, I'm sorry, but my husband passed away. He got into a car accident. And so the man on the phone said, well, where was the accident, if you don't mind me asking? Well, he was on a business trip in Florida. So he started getting intrigued, and he said, when was this, if you don't mind me asking? And so she told him the date and time and everything when the accident happened. And he said, I'm, you don't know me, but I live in Florida and I'm calling you from Florida right now. And one day I was getting ready for work and I was praying, Lord, lead me somewhere to someone who needs to hear about you. And it was a nice day, and I didn't live too far from work, and so I decided not to drive to work, and I started walking. And it was getting late, and I was going to be late for work, so I decided, well, I'm going to hitchhike. So he was hitchhiking. And a man pulled over, and he brought me to work. And we discussed Jesus, and I gave him the gospel, and I told him who Jesus was. And he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior, and that was your husband. And she cried because she knew that she was praying for 55 years for his salvation and she knows that she will see him again. So it doesn't matter if you're praying for a year. It doesn't matter if you're praying for 10 years. It doesn't matter if you're praying for 55 years. Don't give up on praying for that person that you love or even the person that you don't even know. So why is it that we go through difficulties? Why is it that sometimes we pray and we pray, but we still have trials? We still have loss and we still have pain. Why in this chapter of Acts do we read that James was killed, but Peter was saved? Is it because Peter had more faith than James? No. There are many people, unfortunately, some Christians as well, that believe if your prayers are not answered, then maybe you don't have enough faith or you weren't praying the right words. But that's not correct. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, not only do we see the great men and women of faith in that chapter, but we also see that there are some who had great victories, but there's also others that were martyred for their faith. It wasn't because James lacked faith. It's because of the sovereignty of God. And we have to remember that God did deliver James just like he delivered Peter. He delivered Peter into the presence of the church and he delivered James into his presence. If you remember the story in Daniel three sixteen to 17, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, before they were thrown into the fire. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. God is a sovereign God and he's a Lord and nothing takes him by surprise. And we know, as it says in Romans 8.28, that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God 
and are called according to his purpose for them. God has a higher purpose than what you and I could ever see or understand. God has so much for you and I that we could not even imagine it. Because God is a delivering God. He has a plan for all of our lives and he wants us to live surrendering to him. We may say, Lord, I don't understand this all, but I'm going to trust you. Finally, in Acts 12.6, the text says that Peter was sleeping. He was in the night. This was the night before his execution. Guards in between him, and he was sleeping. How could he be sleeping? Would you be sleeping? I wouldn't be sleeping. Who knows? I mean, if you knew that you were going to die the next morning... He was sleeping. And it doesn't only say he was sleeping. He was sleeping so good that the angel had to nudge him hard to get him to wake up. I wish I could sleep like that. But he could sleep like that, and he was sleeping like that because he had peace. He had a peace that his answers or his prayers and the prayers of the church would be answered by God, no matter what the outcome was going to be. Wouldn't you like to know that kind of peace this evening? He trusted God and knew that no matter what the outcome would be, God was right there with him. Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I love that verse. So there's a couple things that I want to say that we can do, you know, to help us out with praying and being a praying church. The first one seems pretty simple and it's very short. And it may be weird that I ask this, but will you pray? Since prayer is expected, can we all make a decision right now to make time in our busy lives for prayer? Our prayers do not have to be extravagant. We don't have to have King James Version prayers. It's not what we're saying. It's what's one in our heart. And when we're truly seeking the face of God when we pray. And that we have a conversation with him. I remember when I was teaching in the back um, one day about prayer. I tried to tell the kids that it's just like having a conversation with your friend. Just tell God how you're feeling. Tell God what you're feeling and what you're what you're going through, because he cares about you. Just lay all of your problems and all of your trials at the feet of Jesus and pray about it. Number two, and I'm going to be guilty about this, is attend Saturday prayer. 
We're all busy, I know it. Sometimes I make excuses. And I'm as guilty as many others not finding time to come here for Saturday prayer. But can we all make a decision that we're going to try to gather together for Saturday prayer and pray with each other and lift each other up? I've talked to several other people from other churches who wish that their church would do prayer nights where they can gather together and they can pray. But sadly, when I was talking to a couple of people, especially at work, about their churches, and I told them that we do have Saturday prayer, and a lot of people told me that they don't do it and their churches will not do Saturday prayer or, sun, or Sunday night prayer or whatever night of the, that they're going to do it because they feel that no one's going to come. I think that's sad. I mean, open up your church and say, we're going to pray together. Yeah, sure, you might have one or two people in the beginning come, but more people will start coming. And really, you won't know if anybody will come unless you try it. Number three, pray persistently and continuously. Continue to pray for your unsaved family and friends, those who maybe are not your friends, your neighbors, Pray for our church family. Pray for our pastors and their families. We need to lift each other up. We need to pray for one another. If you know somebody at church that's going through a problem, just ask them if you can pray with them. Number four, pray with boldness. Be bold in your prayers. Don't be ashamed to pray. How many people are ashamed to go to a restaurant and say a prayer before you eat? It's not, don't be ashamed of it. Don't worry about what others think. Pray at your home, pray at restaurants, pray with and for people. I told Christy I was going to use her in an illustration tonight, so I'm going to, about praying boldly. And she's told several stories about being at, one story in particular about being at a doctor's office. And she was nervous about some things that she was going to the doctors for. And she, real, and she noticed a woman. She started talking to a woman there. And the woman told her what was going on and that she was nervous about some test results. And Christy asked her, can I pray with you? Christy didn't know if she was a Christian. She didn't know anything about like that. But she asked, can I pray with you? And the woman let her. And she prayed with her. That's being bold in prayer. What are they going to say? No. I'll just turn around and say, okay, I'll pray for you anyways. <laughs> in Acts 4, 23 to 31, this is when Peter and John were in prison. And they told them, don't go preaching that gospel anymore. And it says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them that the leading priests and elders had said what they had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? 
The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, those are all people who hate each other. They were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their hearts, hear their threats, sorry, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this, they prayed. The meeting place shook, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Isn't that awesome? They prayed that they would be bold in preaching the word of God. They weren't going to run away from these threats of being imprisoned, persecuted, and possibly killed. They also weren't trying to twist God's arm to get him to do their will. They were surrendering their will to him and asking for boldness. You see, boldness comes when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord always has more sense than we have, right? Remember, God has a plan and he is operating his plan. And we pray, when we pray, we are aligning ourselves to do God's will. And when we pray with, for boldness, as these believers did, God will do above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. Loving God, we thank you tonight for hearing our prayers and being with us. And I just pray for anybody right now, Lord, that needs prayer. Anybody here that has something going on that they need prayer for, I just pray for them right now. And I also pray for anybody who's not here that needs prayer. And I thank you, Lord, for feeding us with your word and encouraging us in our time together this evening. I pray for Pastor and Becky as they're on their sabbatical, Lord, and just pray that you'll just renew them and refresh them. And I just pray that you take us and you use us to love and serve you and to love and to serve all the people in our community. I pray that we continue to be a praying church and that we will continue to be united together and that we continually seek you in the power of your spirit. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.